Hi, I'm Saul. We don't have any music on this episode. It was recorded live at DungeonCon in Santa Clara on February 20th. Uh, we had a couple guests, Felipe and Kevin, and it was recorded live at the event. There's plenty of background noise. It is not as clear as we would like to be. We had to share a mic between me and Kevin, so Kevin was a little bit faint. I had to boost his voice in uh, post. Though it's not as clean as I would like, it is a pretty fun and informative episode. Hopefully you like it. Thank you. On with the show. Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul. Angeline. And today we're in, where are we? In Santa Clara. Uh, we're at DungeonCon. 45. 45. So uh, this, we haven't been here for a, uh, two years. The last year, the time we were here was in 2000. And... Uh, so we're back after, well, actually not after the after COVID, but in the middle of a little surge, but supposedly it's downtrending. So people are braving uh, COVID and uh, coming to a convention, which is supposedly a little dangerous. But I think uh, uh, the best, uh, they're doing the best they can here with uh, checking for if you have a vaccination. You have to have a vaccination. You have to have a vaccination, have, be vaccinated. And they printed it on most of the cards that they checked. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Mine wasn't stamped. It was your stamp? Vaccinated. Mine, oh. I don't, I'm, I'm not vaccinated, but I am, but they didn't stamp it. Oddly enough, the last convention we went to before the pandemic was Dundracon. That's true. Yeah, and so we had a pretty good time here. So we're, we are uh, decided, to come, we decided to do an uh, uh, episode from, from Dundracon once again, since uh, we're back here and... Uh, the general consensus is I think everybody is a little apprehensive, but really glad to be back and seeing people in person for the first time in more or less two years. But so, Felipe, how's your experience been coming back to the convention? Nice. I know you went to Pacificon, but that was very small. It's great. Uh, I don't know about the dangerous comment because <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably less dangerous than, let's say, going to dinner. Where oh, yeah. you see a few people not wearing masks or failing to wear their mask when they walk out and they walk right by you. So right. at least here, uh, I would say like 99.9% .9 of the people are using their mask correctly. Uh, <laughs> there's, just that, there's that. For me, you know, during the COVID season, I have yet to get a flu or cold this whole time. And I usually get three or four colds. So the mask does work for me. I so. can tell you he does usually get three or four colds. So, and that, you know, a cold will put me out. Yeah, you know, actually, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. So, um, so I can't see how, you know, when people say don't come or you shouldn't be having a convention, uh, it's, it's probably safer than, like, I would say, going to a, a, a diner where they don't follow good protocols. That's true. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, like I said, and then, like I said, most people here, I know we get people from outside the Bay Area, but most people here in the Bay Area seem to be, uh, you know, pretty, well, I don't know what the word would be, but uh, pretty good on good terms with the whole idea of masking and being vaccinated. So, and uh, the fact that they are checking their vaccination status and that's, that's, that's only a good for everybody here. Yeah. And like, like my, like Felipe said, it, it is a, it is seemingly more safer than going to a, a a restaurant where they don't check your vaccination status and they don't really uh and it's more fun because you get to play games 
Well, there's that. That's right. There's, and there seems to be plenty of room. Um, it's a little light, uh, but, you know, that gives you a little bit more elbow room. You don't have to be uh, elbow to elbow with somebody at a table. They, they're not stuffing as many tables into uh, the convention areas. Well, they also got into a larger hotel, so... So the, the, the difference is you know, there's two factors. One, it's a bigger hotel with more space. And two, it's, there might be less people. So there's a, quite a bit of you know, room, elbow room, so to speak. But, uh, but it's kind of hard to gauge what exactly the numbers are. I mean, I haven't asked anybody of the convention staff. It's probably a, little bit, probably a little bit less than a normal convention before COVID. But I think uh, people are going to start coming and being more uh, less apprehensive about coming to an event like this. And Saul, I know that you and Felipe, did you play? You played in a game last night, or did you not get into it? I played in a game that I normally don't play in, uh, which was a derivative of Apocalypse World. Oh, wow! Which is very storytelling type did, of RPG. Did you have fun? I did have fun. What was uh, the name of the game? It was called Iron Swarm. Ah. And it can be played GMless, mainly because there's tables that you roll on to try to determine what's going to happen to your party. Uh, and it's party-based in the sense that you come up with a story based on the rules that you make. Um, there's an oracle that you consult, see what's going to happen or what the situation is, and. It, the oracle will tell you what what like uh, what the location is, the theme, what type of people you're dealing with, and things like that. That's very interesting. This is the second time that you guys are playing where you roll on tables recently, because your game, your Friday night game, you're doing the same thing to, to determine the territory. Right, right. Oh. Uh, that's something our friend Mike uh, been wanting to do in a sand crawl. Sandbox uh, uh, style game uh, where nothing is preset so that as a GM, you don't need as much prep uh, preparation beforehand because everything is going to be determined on the fly by rolling on the table to see if what you encounter or, or what the terrain is like. And so it's a uh, a lot less preparation for the GM. Do you think that's harder for the GM because he has to do everything on the fly? Or do you think it's easier because, I guess it couldn't be easier, more interesting to have to do it on the fly? I think if you're hesitant about coming up with ideas, it, it's definitely harder for somebody who doesn't use their imagination very much. Our friend Mike, he's very imaginative and can come up with ideas on the fly very easily. I probably have a little harder time because I can usually edit somebody's other people's uh, ideas rather than trying to come up with my own. I'd rather roll on the table and, and that'll give me impetus to come up with the ideas from there. And then I can also talk to the players and they can help me come up with ideas i can edit their ideas into a game uh, session i think i think the we talked about this before is that the difference is, is there's some dms that like a lot of prep they like to be prepared for like i know i do 
Well, I mean, a lot. I mean, that's the way most people are. They pre they prepare something and then prepare encounters and even come up with probably some visuals and stuff like that, or even maps. And if the characters characters or the players don't go in that direction, then you don't use those maps, and all that work is goes out the window. Saul had that last night in his game because he had all of these. They called them side quests because they didn't <laughs> want to take the. They didn't want to go that way. Which was funny because it was a World War II game, and they're, and they're using the term side quest. So I thought it was kind of funny. But yeah, they, they, I presented them with certain situations and they're like, well, that's not part of our mission, so we don't really need to deal with that. And one of them was like totally like off the wall, right? This kid wanted help with his, uh, his sister's boyfriend who was, he claimed was a werewolf. And, uh, and they're like, okay, kid, but you know, we're supposed to be going this way and that's nothing to do with us. So you're on your own. That that's has nothing to do with them. our mission. We're not doing that. So basically that's what they did. That's what they told him. And that. And this, so, okay, so he scrapped that part. And then another one was, uh, they heard a, a MG, a German machine gun, going off in the middle of the night. And instead of investigating, they're going, well, that has nothing to do with our mission, so we're just going to ignore that. <laughs> so there was that, that. Which made their game a lot shorter. Right, right. You know, I, I uh, came to the realization myself that I love the impromptu. I, I, that's what I strive for, you know, the, when people go for that stuff. And so if people, if I have something prepped and someone comes up with another idea, that's what I want to work on. So it's interesting that there's so many different, you know, things that folks like. Yes, that's totally true. I, I think, uh, like we have a friend, Jim, who's like, he's an artist, right? So he likes doing art for the, for the encounters and for the scenes. And if we didn't go in that direction or, or, or do that, all that stuff is gone. And, and you know, it's, some of it's hours of work. And I'm like, and the problem with that is sometimes you, you feel pigeonholed or you feel railroaded to go into a certain direction. But as a GM also, I know, okay, this is the way he wants us to go. So, you know, this is where the adventure lies. So I'm not gonna go, well, I don't wanna go over here to this 160, 80 degree turn somewhere else. But it was funny because in, in that game last night, I was just like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. You guys can ignore that. So they ignored like three things I threw at them and they used the excuse that they were on a mission, right? Uh, and I did emphasize that at the beginning of the game that they had a mission to accomplish and they needed to get it done as quick as possible, so. You didn't do the Jolene paradox? I told no. him he should have used the Jolene paradox. <laughs> the, the werewolf comes the back werewolf to bite him. comes back to at you. <laughs> so, so my theory is that as a, as a creator of the game, a game master, that you come up with encounters, right? So say they don't want to encounter it there. If you don't have another encounter, well, then maybe it comes back from another side. Later on. Later on in the game, because that's the encounter that you created. And maybe they do something totally different. That's fine. And I can come up with stuff, but I think it's pretty yeah. interesting to. I agree. I always, always like the concept of uh, toying with things that look like choices but really aren't. <laughs> like you go into a dungeon and there's three doors. You're taking the first door, the second door, the third door. As the DM, I know exactly what's going to be behind the, the next door. Whichever door you Whichever take. Whichever door it happens to be. <laughs> but you don't disclose that. Saul and doesn't and like my the theory. That's Jolie's world, right? I envision, I don't know what game it was, like a computer game, but there's a computer game where, where where no matter which way you go, you're always going forward, right? right. So if you make a left-hand turn, the whole world turns and gets in front of you. So I imagine that's what Jolene's adventures yes, is. Like. that's the Jolene paradox. <laughs> so no matter which way you go, the adventure you know, switches and, and go, gets in front of you and you're always gonna go through it. I've never actually had to use this because usually I run games for kids. And 
the only time I ever really had to force them to go was when I was running a module, and it was for these guys, so they were pretty good with it, except for when we came across Her the table. guys, not these guys. Oh. We're, we're extras here. Yes. Me and well, Kevin. You. you were in it. It was, oh, the, was, it was the Paladin game. game. And I actually let them go wherever they wanted and do whatever it was, but I was trying to follow the adventure because I'd never run a module before. So I did that, but then I had I came across a table and I accidentally killed somebody's horse. I felt really bad. Oh, oh, Paladin. Yes. Oh, Paladin role-playing is what they're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Paladin, the character class. No. Okay. You know, when I'm running, I just I make it a point to tell the, the party, like, look... This is a story point coming up that you're not going to be able to mess with. <laughs> I don't like his DM pretending like you have a choice and then forcing them into one choice. Right. You know, I just say, look, this is what I got. The way things are prepared, this is what you're going to do. Because then I'm not fighting with them about, like, why did I choose this? Aha, you chose the wrong thing, and now you're enduring all these things, which I had nothing else prepped for anyway, so you, you better choose the wrong thing. And, <laughs> I don't. I find that liberating just to be just to. So say, you tell your you tell your players that the adventure's this way. Well, like you know, it's the thing we're prepped. I remember one game I was I was playing as a player, and the, the concept of the game is that the the players would take off on this mission with the pirate captain on the ship, and the pirate captain didn't have enough supplies for everybody, and so a huge part of the prepped game was trying to get food and such for it for the situation. I came by and. I said, well, before we go, I want to make sure we have enough supplies. <laughs> and the right. DM just about flipped out, because that's the whole game, you know? <laughs> and, and if he would have said, like, oh, you take off too quickly and whatever, I could have lived with that. But in my head, I come up with, well, we better make sure we have enough supplies. It was very hard to give up on the concept of, we don't. Right. Yeah, I, I've, I've never really played a game like that. Uh, mainly, uh, like I've said before, I used to plan out all kinds of things. And as I, it took me years and years to figure it out, but as I figured out that a lot of that stuff just wasn't getting used, I just, I would just present people with the players with, or the characters with problems, and I would never try to figure out how they would figure out the problem, how they would solve the problem. Because you just can't do that. There's, there's so many different people, and there's no way you can, you know, forecast or figure out how they're going to react to whatever you're going to so in the game in the game you were playing last night, when they rolled on the table, did it did everyone just come up with what was going to happen then? Our main person was uh, John, who was like not GMing, but sort of guiding or coordinating the roles, and and he would go around the table and say, "Well, what do you think this role means?" It might say a dark, abandoned swamp or something, and then he would go around the table and say. Well, who do you think lives in this abandoned swamp? And, and everybody would toss in suggestions and it would be a consensus on which choice it would be. And then we would make up a story based on. And were all the suggestions good or did you lose? Oh, there were some bad ones. Okay. okay. <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you deal with the bad ones? Oh, I think, uh, I think it was obvious and, and we would just say, oh yeah, we'll just go with this. <laughs> Uh, or John would just say, oh, no, we're going with this. You know, he'd, he'd just ignore the bad ones. And Saul's Saul mentioned uh, how I would GM in the past with uh, when we were a lot younger in our teens and 20s. And they really didn't know how I would, well, what I was doing in the background. And back then, we would have Dragon magazines and or buy modules or books with adventures in them. And I would scavenge all those, copy them out put them in a binder, 
and then I would give them a task to go from either point A to point B, and and then as they went along, I would look in my binder, and there'd be an adventure, and I I would mention either somebody in a village would say something to them, and <laughs> if they went for it, it didn't matter because I it, it was it was already prepared a prepared uh, adventure. Right, right. So uh, I didn't really have to. I was prepped already in the sense that I used other people's material for for adventures, and, it, and, and they it, could do it. And that's why they felt they could do anything they want, or they felt they could do anything they want, because really they could go anywhere in the world. Uh-huh, uh, and then some <laughs> areas I had I had coded to a particular adventure. If they went into this one area, it would it would they they would encounter this particular adventure. But, is, and then some of them were just, they could happen anywhere. Right. And I could just toss in a, a rumor uh, or, or somebody would ask them for help. And if they didn't, well, then that would be there for the next time they come through. Hey, that's like the Jolene paradox. <laughs> Not quite, I don't think. Because the world didn't move right, to right. them. They, they moved throughout the world and... You had happen. encounters for yes. them whichever, wherever they were going to go. They were the out ideas, there. Yeah. There were some that there were just I would toss along the way and, and they would hear about it. Uh, but it wouldn't necessarily be there the next time they come through either. I always love the situations where, okay, uh, you know, I make friends with the werewolf. Oh, and I rolled my 1% chance. <laughs> You've got to have a new story that's significantly different than the one you prepped. Yes. Or even yeah. with the three doors, they go say, well, the, no matter what door they open, I have something prepared. Right. Well, what happens when they open all three doors at the same time? <laughs> you know, you're only thinking one door, right? No, no, so the, the, the fuller explication of the idea is that amongst those three doors, it's best for the storyline if they're open in a particular order. You know, the oh, first okay. one has a, and the second one has a guy that's such and such, and the third one has the place where the, the guy's knowledge from the second door applies. And so you don't worry about which order they're going to open them because they open them in the right order, depending on which door they go. Oh, okay. That explains that's that. Easy. Yeah. That's so, cool. So we were discussing, you know, why people go, come to conventions, why we come to conventions. A lot of it is just like we've made friends here that we usually only see at conventions like Kevin and uh and there's a, i mean there's hun- no, literally hundreds of people we we see all the time only at conventions and so that's one reason is seeing friends that we've made here but what other reasons do you come to a convention other than you know meeting friends that you only see here i mean what, what attracts you what what is attractive to you to convention i personally yes i like so many parts of it but i like board games and there are board games that are really fun to play but you need a significant number of players and to be played well, they have to be motivated and And savvy. a significant yeah. amount of time, Six, too. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That, that takes a significant amount of time. There's a lot of pieces. You, you know, you don't want someone's eight-year-old who's going to blow out after half the game, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a lot of opportunity to play a game start to finish if you're not at a, at a game convention where you know you have, you have people registered now that's the other thing is that i don't even like registered games because <laughs> half the time people get in because they won the lottery and they really aren't going to be there for the whole game i'd rather show up and play with my friends like the two of you <laughs> you know and uh and that's the attraction for me of going to cons and there's also uh games that are just 
price so high that a normal person or a normal gamer can't afford, such as Glorantha Wars or Cthulhu Wars, which if you have all the expansions, uh, they were telling me, oh, that's around eight, nine hundred dollars. Right. And I think I, I hadn't thought about that, but we were talking, uh, not talking, but me and Jolene, uh, our son went to seventh grade and he had a seventh grade science teacher. And that science teacher would go to only one convention, Pacificon, not this one. But he would always go to Pacificon one day because he, he got to play. He would bring his Twilight Imperium. And it's funny that you mentioned that. And he would show up really early and start setting up the table. And sure enough, every time we saw him for years, years, he would get a full table and he'd be playing there all day. And that's like, you know, a 10-hour game if you're lucky, I guess. So I totally understand that idea of playing a game that you normally wouldn't be able to put at the table. And, you know, unless you, you know, you had a, like a game room where you can just let, let pieces stay there and stuff. But if you don't and you want to get it done in one day, I think a convention is a good spot for... Those, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, long, long. Significant, yeah. yeah. I was just playing a eight, an 18xx. 18xx. Uh, That's a railroad game, right? Yeah, a railroad game, yeah. At the, at the last um, Pacific one. Oh, yeah. Is it a long game? A, they are very long games and they're very complex. It's kind yeah. of the old school with a lot of the chits with yeah, all the numbers yeah. that mean an array of things that you have to have five <laughs> manuals to look up and figure out. I mean, it wasn't one of the crayon ones where you have to, uh, where you you, have, you draw your rails between points. Yeah, yeah. The, those are long games too. I, I played one of those, and that was that was lengthy. Iron Dragon. I like that one for that purpose. But no, these these the 18 XX. They started with like the 1830 game. If you've ever heard of that, they're they're really good, but they're complicated. You're keeping track of rails and stock prices, and, and you know, oh, and in this round, all the chairs split and go two different ways, and. Uh, you know, you really need to play with other people who are dedicated to playing to make right. it, it all worthwhile to do it. Well, a lot, of, a lot of those games seem a little bit more complicated too, like Twilight Imperium, there's a lot going on, right? So, unless you're willing to teach somebody and, and make the game last longer, because anytime you teach somebody, I think a complicated game is going to last a little bit longer. Uh, even in a simple game, you got to stop and tell them how to, you know, what the rules are. So. Uh, Twilight Imperium, for example, that, that that game, you know, people talk about how long that game can be, and if you if you if you have a, everybody knows the system and everybody knows how to play, then the game's gonna you know, flow a little bit faster and, and actually be able to finish. <laughs> I made one person uncomfortable, and we were I would forget what play what game we we're playing. Oh, we we're playing Sons of the Catan, I think. And uh, and Don't I say was, any names. And I was. <laughs> And I was kind of getting upset, you know, but I was jokingly upset because in that, in that every, I don't know, everybody Everyone should, was teasing him. Every, no, everybody knows Senator Katani has a freaking robber guy. And my friend, anytime he rolled it, he would put it on one of mine. So then I kept saying, oh man, you're screwing me, you're screwing me, you know, Mike. And, uh, and so I guess I was being a little bit over the top, over the top. And so this one guy, Puerto Rico. What, no, it was uh, Celeste Gatton because he kept rolling the seven and they kept putting it on my guy. So anytime they rolled my number, I wouldn't get any stuff. Right. So I'm stuck in my position. So this, so we go around and this uh, this guy by the name of <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll X that out. Uh, You'll bleep it. He, yeah, I'll bleep it. And then uh, he 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 got, he rolled a seven, right? And he's sitting right across the table from me. And he goes, I'm gonna put this on yours. Because I don't like you. <laughs> but the thing is, the rest of us were razzing Saul, and and we knew he was playing 
the upset player. But but this but one this person, person did not know, know what was happening, I think. And uh, he yeah, he took him a little. I got, uh, I don't know if, two, two years ago now at Kublicon, I got to the final table for Settlers. Oh, yeah. So there was like 100 or 200 people in the thing, and I got into the final four, final final table of the thing, and it was it was neat. There's a picture of me on the Kublicon website. It's a oh, cool. But I got into that game, and uh, through rules that they didn't announce previously, the, who gets to choose which character, which player you're going to be uh, is based on the rankings of the previous games you played. Well, I ranked high enough that I didn't even play in the last session because I qualified. Right. So I didn't bother playing. And then suddenly it comes up that <laughs> it matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the setup for the board was so bad that player number four was absolutely screwed. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was only sights along the edge. Oh, yeah. That, I mean... Yeah. If, if people rolled like nine consistently, I could win. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I was screwed. And those, you just have to be like, came this far, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really we, that. we played in um, the Seven Wonders tournament at yeah. the Kublacon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Augustine and Alan and I ended up at one table, and the person that sat down to play with us, he rage quit because he got mannequin pissed. And he goes, <laughs> This is the third time I'm not playing this. And he threw his stuff down and left the room. And Augustine and Alan just looked at me going, I go, it's okay, they'll figure it out. <laughs> I go, I think we've never said, seen he, this is before. He, is that guy coming back? <laughs> like, I don't think he's coming back. I don't think he's coming back. Another, another, but see, it was funny. I, I played that tournament a couple times, and there was this lady who, who kept saying, oh, I don't know that expansion or whatever, right? We were playing with the leaders and all that stuff. And then I, I remember trying to help her out. But then, like, then she scored much higher than I. I was, I was out of that turnaround. No, no way, am I good enough? So the next year, I was sitting again, and she was pulling the same freaking number on it. And, and I'm like, what the hell? And then I just said, I don't know, and I just totally ignored her, because that was like, you know, like. That was her strategy to get strategy. people to help. Right, <laughs> to get people distracted so they don't do their own. So you don't play. concentrate on your own yeah. cards. Yeah, yeah. And, and do yeah. your best play. And I'm, Kathy and, had the same problem. She had the same lady, and I told her, "Don't answer any of her questions. Just say I don't know, and you just play your game." Right. The first one she did, she she answered all her questions, and she figured out the same thing that. That was upsetting to me because I'm like. You know, I understand when people really don't know how to play, but when it when it. But it's, why would you be in a tournament if you didn't know how to yeah, play? Well, that's what people said, but. So I, I kind of did that to somebody last night. He was playing <laughs> Dune Imperium board game. Well, no, I wasn't playing. Uh, he was playing the Dune, the new Dune Imperium board oh, yeah, game. Yeah. Did you play that one? I have it. Okay. Uh, and I have, I played it twice, and I I just got into a casual conversation with him about <laughs> Dune, you know, because somebody had a Dune, his own Dune game in Protospiel. Oh. Uh, he's he's making a prototype, um, though he doesn't have the license. Of course. Rights to it. So we were talking about well, what's what's he thinking if he doesn't have the rights why is, is it just for fun or well, anyway and then I, I was asking him about different versions and of course he was getting distracted with the conversation and then you later, made him lose no i didn't make him lose but i left i left before before playing? i figured out what no i wasn't even playing you saw you saw the writing in the sand but at one point after our conversation it came back to his turn he goes he's looking at his cars and he's thinking oh 
what did I do that for? <laughs> uh, <so you laughs> like, well, I need to get out of there now. <laughs> Here's a variation on kind of a similar topic. Uh, the Dean Advanced Civilization. Oh, yeah. I like the, the, you know, the theory of what's going on. I think it's fun. But it's unfortunate because the nature of the game is so much. Everybody's looking at their cards and thinking about where they're going to move their armies. It's a 12-hour game, and no one talks. Yeah. I go to a game convention to talk with people. <laughs> I don't want to play a 12-hour game. Mm -hmm. People right. I like and not say anything to them. I think you can know, talk to them every once in a while. They have to do the trip. Well, I talk. Because <laughs> you, know, you can't stop me from talking. So I shouldn't play that game. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually like Civilization when we played it back in the what, 80s, I guess. I still have a copy of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good game. It's just one of those games that's hard to... Uh, introduce to people to play or even get them to sit down because it's going to be a long game. Well, we played Risk the last time we went up to Portland to visit Felipe and Mike, oh, yeah. and we had to be careful because we had kids and we played teams because yeah, team you, you had to kind of look at the kids and go, which way are they going to go if you do this to them? So <laughs> we had to be, it was, a, it was very interesting. I think they handled it pretty well, but uh, yeah. I, I, ha I got the competitive mom. Yeah. <laughs> she really wanted to win. <laughs> but she got thrashed by her own child, so. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, ticket to ride, that's it. I was playing in a game of ticket to ride at a Christmas party. Oh, wow. Oh. And so there's a combination of my son, who's pretty little at that time, who's, you know, you really gotta be nice to him and figure out what he's gonna do so you're not gonna step on it. My wife's playing, who's pretty smart, but boy, she'll be pissed if I figured out what she was gonna do and stopped it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not gonna do that. Yeah. And then there's the neighbor's <laughs> son, who's a little older, and he doesn't care if he much wins the game, he just wants to beat me, right? <laughs> so he's coming at me. And so I realized there's the, the rules of the game, but I'm actually playing about Four You're, or five other games going <laughs> on. I know exactly what you mean. That's the way Ticket to Ride. I was just telling the story at the table earlier that we, my friend Steve, his, he played with Augustine and Alan when they were like four. And he said, I go, you have to be easy on them. We're just teaching them. And he got like 200 points. And the two kids were like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, because you just like ground them to the ground. So you always have to take into account what the other players are doing, except for Felipe. Felipe likes to block people in Ticket to Ride sometimes. <laughs> I accidentally did that to I my know. son at uh, the Miller's residence. They had, they had, he has a birthday game gathering um, when he was in the area. And uh, accident, and afterwards, my son was on virtual tears. I mean, he was ready to cry, and it's like, he blocked me. And I go, well, I didn't mean it. I needed that, that route. I didn't know I was going to do it. I didn't see you, you know. Heading that direction. Yeah. My so. wife's of the attitude, you know, when the kids were really little, she didn't like when I fudge things in their favor. You know, you've got to learn life the way it really is. And, I, and, and like another level of game, like, dear, if I cut you off and take it to ride, there's hell to pay. So... I'm smart enough not to do that. Yeah, yeah. And when you're and when you're playing with little kids, you kind of want to, especially yeah, when I'm they're just, little, you want them to. For you, I can fudge for them. Yeah. Come on. And you want them to kind of win, so they want to play again with you, yeah, yeah. and have a good time, a good experience, even if they lose. But it's better if they win. That way, they want to come back and do it again. I know the feeling. <laughs> I stopped beating Augustine at chess when he was about what eight, because that's when he he was doing chess all the time and chess club and. 
chess classes and I'm like, he goes, play with me. I go, you have to go easy on me because you're going to beat me. <laughs> Coming back to one of the reasons, no, uh, why I come to conventions. Oh, yeah. I like to see uh, new games that I hadn't seen before or, or so I wander around the board game room, look at the games, say, okay, what is, like yesterday I, I saw one that looked like Agricola, but it wasn't. And so that was, then they, they described the game to me. I, forget, I already forgot what it was, but, <laughs> but, but at least I know that game is out there. Right, right. right. Okay. Yeah. And, and I can search for it well, if I want to. I well, mean, so, and, I, and for instance, I kind of knew about Glorantha Wars because of uh, Cthulhu Wars. Okay. But those models look absolutely fantastic for Glorantha Wars. Oh, so is, is, is it a, it's a board game? Yeah, it's based on RuneQuest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know Glorantha. They use the system from Cthulhu Wars. Oh. To, and, of course, they have these huge models, models for yeah. the gods. Right, right, And right. Uh, it's really fun. Probably fun to play if you're if you've been in you know if you've been a RuneQuest fan for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, all the the stories of the gods are you know incorporated into the game. Well, well just an aside, RuneQuest was written by uh, Steve Perrin, right? Who is uh, one of the founders of this convention? Unfortunately, he passed away last year, so they're having a memorial this here at uh, at, the, at the convention. But I think that's important. That they had a memorial game too for yes, him I saw, yesterday. I saw, it was night. supposed to be a, a whole room full of uh, gaming tables. Yeah, yeah, it was multiple tables, and then and then I saw at the very end, they all everybody who was left, you know, was still. Uh, they put them around. It's kind of like what we did. In, in, the here. three different. Yeah, uh, so they they got all the, the groups together. and They were having this massive battle at the very end. It looked pretty neat. <laughs> but uh, but I didn't, I didn't get into that game. But that's fine. <laughs> I was running my own game. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, a lot of things about conventions are pretty fun. I like the idea of getting into games that, that you don't normally could get or hard to get. Uh, not to hard to get, but hard to get to the table at, at home. Or that you just haven't seen before, right? There's that, the ones you haven't seen before. or you know, Because Cause some of us follow Kickstarter fairly closely. Yeah, at least two people at this table do. <laughs> but some of them get by me under the wire. Well, I, I don't really usually look at board games because I hate to say my group doesn't like uh, learning new games. Okay, they don't like that's reading not the, true. They don't like reading the rules, and that makes it difficult. But now there's YouTube where people read the rules for you and, and to you, and, and which makes you it a to, lot easier. And show you how to play. Yes, yeah, so I, haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't seen that, but yeah, I guess it could happen. Well, I've been buying board games mainly because of the miniatures, because I could figure, oh, well, if I use a role playing, oh. use them in a role playing game later on. Like yeah. there's, I bought a cyberpunk style board game with miniatures. Um, you know, that's the thing is, like, there's stuff on Kickstarter, and I'll think, oh, that's a gorgeous board, gorgeous miniatures, oh, look, look, look at this. And then I'll go to a convention and watch people play it, and I'm like, no, that's a crap game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, maybe these miniatures from someone else, and boy, that's totally yeah. worthwhile. If you're only yeah. going to use them for the board game, yeah. you better have a secondary, I think you should have a secondary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, but, uh, I think a lot, a lot of people do that. They'll buy the board game simply because of the miniatures. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. And well, it's cheaper. I'm at a point where I have so many board games with miniatures, I'm, I'm not buying anymore. You don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to. And what about so, the latest game that looks uh, like? That's, that's, yeah, there's been a few heartbreakers lately. Oh, they, so. they egg each other on, though, in emails because them and their friends, they go, oh, Look at this. is having a sale. It's 50% off. And then all of a sudden, oh. all this stuff shows up at my house. <laughs> and uh, so... 
It was a good sale, it's, though. I know. I heard. <laughs> Stuff showed up at my house, too. I got I don't know how, but they showed up. Star Trek books, so that was okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was okay. See, everybody's got there. <laughs> exactly. But I heard a comment in the hallway where a, a man was saying, oh, they were talking about board games with miniatures, and he, and he was at the point where, oh, I'd rather have a board game without the miniatures now. Because he's played so many with miniatures? Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because it increases the size of the box and then everything. And you can have one map of the United States with a bunch of overlays for different people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so we really like coming ourselves because, like I said, we, we see friends, we play games. We talked about the, I don't know if we talked about the dealer's room, but the dealer's room. There's more than just games. There's people who make clothing, accessories, and stuff like that. So I think uh, uh, also this this particular uh, convention has a lot of open board game space. So like it, if you don't get into a, into a, a organize a one in the program booklet, you can always get your own game and find a table and be able to play. So that's always very very fun at a at a convention setting like this. I think uh, for the most part, we, gamers have this idea that. Well, people have the stereotype that gamers are not very social or antisocial, but yet it's a very social thing to be to go together, being with people and playing mm -hmm. games. I mean, it's as social as you can get. I mean, it's more. I think it's more social than let's say getting a bunch of people together and go watch a football game on your TV because that's so passive, right? You're watching and sure you score, everybody's high fives each other, but other than that, they're just talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That might be why it's not played anymore. Speaking of social, uh, I was expecting maybe the LARPs might be a little low in attendance, but last night they 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 were packed in that yeah. one LARP well, room. They also have a a, a do your, like a LARP thing right there where you, you can you try work. to gather people together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, definitely they they was it, was it overflowed into the hallway. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> I guess there wasn't enough room in. Yeah, we're not into LARPing, although I. I, I do. We've, we've tried it, but never. I am jealous of the people that like to dress up, though. <laughs> All right, well, I think that we've been at it for 41 minutes. It's good. So I want to thank Kevin and Felipe for joining us for this podcast. Yes. And oh, glad you. to be here. Well, and, since I'm here already. And encouraging people, and it's encouraging. Let's just encourage people to go to conventions, especially now if you're fully vaccinated and they require you to be and you everybody's wearing a mask, it's a good thing. Just attend it safely. Yeah. Yes. Just like any other uh, activity. And if you're good with that, if you're if you if there's conventions where you don't have masks, could I put in a plug for the absolutely. Alamo City Game Con that we're putting together out in um, Alamo City, Texas, near San Antonio? It's it's going to be the uh, September Labor Day Memorial oh, Day. Labor, Labor Day. Day weekend. Labor Day. Uh, this next coming Labor Day and uh, 2022. Where is it going to be held at? Uh, at the um, La Quinta Medical Town. In, oh. in uh, Alamo City. I don't know how far that is from you, Jim, but since you're in Texas, maybe you can There's go. ACGameCon.net, Andy Hartwell, the head of the con, and he's from Austin, Texas. So you already have a website and everything, right? I have a website, and I made most of the graphics. <laughs> so I'll put the notes in. So they're all dancing. Cool. <laughs> okay. Well, well, maybe I'll, you can work on my website. Okay. <laughs> Just I'll, joking. I'll, I'll, put in a, I'll put in a show notes uh, what your website is and stuff and have it listed there. So thanks a lot uh, for talking to us for this half hour. So this is Gaming Perspectives with Saul. Angeline. You have a good day. Yeah!